0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, Father in heaven, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. Um, thank you for Christ and for the, um, the, the heavenly realities that you have brought forth. And I pray, um, pray that you'd bless this time. pray that your word would be clear. I pray that Christ would be exalted. I pray that we'd be uh, transformed and comforted uh, and sanctified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so this is uh, class number five of the series on heaven consciousness. Um, I've been doing this class down in the assembly hall, and so um, I'm going to just do a quick little review to catch up to speed to where we are um, with this class. But basically, premise of this class is... Um, is uh, is my. Uh, 2013 my oldest child passed away so i live with a child who is in heaven and after that happened my uh, mindset towards heaven was magnified significantly i started thinking about heaven all the time and so when i uh during that year afterwards i was reading paul's letters and um and i started to notice in a new way how much paul talks about heaven the apostle paul talks about heaven non-stop Uh, In his letters, it's integrated into just about everything that he talks about, and it's not just like he has a chunk about heaven, but when he talks about uh, morality, or he talks about evangelism, or he talks about suffering, when he talks about his friend Clement in the the end of the book of the Philippians, uh, he is referencing, alluding to, integrating heavenly realities into what he's talking about. And so, um, so I say that I found a friend in Paul because I felt a little weird. If you've ever, um, lost a loved one who's gone to be with the Lord and you're thinking about heaven all the time, like I would pay, I'd forget to pay a bill, I'd have a late fee, and I'd be like, eh, hey, this is, this $15 late fee for my sprint bill is not going to matter when I'm in glory. It's not going to matter, right? Felt a little bit bizarre. Um, and, uh, and so I found, I found a friend in Paul and that someone who heaven was on their mind all the time. And so, um, so the, the, the purpose of this class um, is to talk about heavenly realities with the hope that we all might have a heightened heavenly-mindedness, um, that heaven might be a bigger part of our everyday consciousness. And so to review um, where we've been... Uh, we first talked about future heaven. So that's when we think about heaven, what we typically conceive of is like when you die and you go to be with Jesus. That's a, That or the second coming of Christ, new heavens and new earth. That's what we're talking about when I refer to future heaven. Um, then we talk second class about present heaven. And so what I mean by that is the Apostle Paul saw the coming of Jesus as the beginning of heaven on earth. The, the end of history in the Bible is heaven on earth, the new heavens and the new earth. But Paul believed... And we call that the the age to come. Uh, The age to come, the new creation, the age of the spirit, the new heavenly age, all that. Well, Paul believed that the Christ event, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, was the initiation of the age to come. And that what we have is an overlap between that heavenly age and the present evil age that we live in now. Uh, And there will be an overlap until the second coming of Christ. So that being said, one of the big Uh, the big breakthroughs of the New Testament, one of the big themes of the New Testament is that whether it's in the the Gospels and we're talking about the kingdom of God or in Paul, we're talking about the age of the spirit, the new creation, the kingdom of God, but that heaven is on earth now. And that if you're a believer in Christ, a big facet of your salvation is that you have been transferred from the the domain of darkness. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1. You've been transferred from from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. And so you, yes, because of the now and the not yet, yes, we still live in the in the, the, the fallen world. Um, we still sin, we still suffer, we still see evil, and we more truly live in heaven. We are citizens, our citizenship is in heaven. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. Uh, and so basically our more true home is heaven. And so um, th- this, is, this is gonna be very, very important Um, as we talk about heavenly morality today. So with that being said, Paul's argument, particularly in Colossians 3, is okay, since you've been raised with Christ, you've been unified with Christ in his his ascension into heaven, you're seated in heaven, then set your mind on things above. Uh, Because you're now a citizen of heaven, it makes sense that your mind would be set on things above where Christ is seated. Don't judge your mind on earthly things, set your thing your mind on heavenly things. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with him in God. So basically you have died, you have crossed the threshold. You are no longer in the domain of darkness. You are now in the kingdom of God. are in the kingdom of light. And as a product of that it makes sense that your mind would be set on things above. Then he talks about our heavenly future when Christ who is our life appears you also will appear with him in glory. So at the second coming of Christ, we will be with Christ. So he is saying, heaven is your past. You were unified with Christ in his ascension. Heaven is your present. You're unified with Christ now. You are in the heart of Christ in heaven. That's where your citizenship is. Your future is also in heaven. You'll be with Christ in the second coming. You'll be with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. As a product of that, it only makes sense that you would have a heavenly mindedness. And so with that being said, the, the progression, this is the, toin, the term that I coin, is um, heaven consciousness. That is when. That's what we see in Paul. That your um, your life, your mind, your heart, your hope, your expectation is so grounded in heaven that it just pervades your perspective. You know, it's just the air that you breathe. It's 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 there in the way that you think about think about things. It's there in the way that you're convicted about sin. It's there in the way that you're courageous and serving and loving people. Um, it's there when you're having a tough time uh, and your natural instinct is to look towards heaven and say, this is temporary, this is tough, and this is not forever. And so heaven consciousness is what we're hoping that God will do for us um, in, um, you know, as we kind of learn more about the heavenly realities. Here, this is one of the things I thought about this past week. And that is, like heavenly realities are central to our existence if you're a believer in Christ. Uh, but we just really don't necessarily even know it. And that's the value of studying God's word and, and, and studying this topic, is to understand the realities of where you actually dwell. And so, um, and so when we talk about heaven consciousness, just a couple of little points here. One is that uh, in looking at Paul's heaven consciousness, um, it's that Paul has a very clear end point in life. And that's true for you as a believer. You, you take that for granted if you've been a Christian for a long time. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, you take for granted that as you're thinking about the narrative of your life, it, it ends in heaven with Christ. It ends in the new heavens and the new earth, ultimately. And that that's just, uh, it's just so embedded in your daily perspective, so embedded in your heart and your mind that you take for granted. There are people, and, and, and if this is you, I beg you to come to Christ today, but there are people who live with this sense of, I don't really know where this is all headed. I don't know where this is going. Who knows what's going to happen when I die? Uh, this Is it this abyss? Is it nothing? And uh, if you're a Christian, you can take for granted that great gift of your salvation, that it is you have this certain hope. I know someone who's... Uh, um, a hospice nurse, and um, they were uh, caring for a couple. Husband was dying. Uh, sorry, your husband was dying. A wife. Uh, they were. They were not believers. They're were, they were secular. The nurse is a, is a Christian, and she said to the nurse, "said I'm just so jealous of this certain hope that you have about death. This certain hope that you have that when we die, when you die, it's going to be happy. It's going to be good. It's going to be comfort." And and she's like, "I don't." I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's real or not, but, but the, the certainty that you have in that gives you incredible comfort here and now. Um, and so, so with Paul, you see here in 1 Corinthians 4-8, through, 4 through 8, you're going to see this, um, see this you know, heavenly narrative that he lives under. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, you wait for the second coming of Christ, who will sustain you to the end. And what is the end? The guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here he has a end point that he believes that human history and that his life personally, the lives of all believers is moving towards. Uh, then we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So like he's talking about communion as a provision until Christ returns. There won't be communion in heaven, because we'll realize face to face, physically speaking, our our oneness with him, our relationship with him. Uh, so but you can see here he's saying, as we wait for his, his coming, until he returns. And so so his heaven conscience is first built on this endpoint. That is, you know, either, I kind of, the way, way I will kind of think about this is like, forgive me, sports analogy coming. I know that alienates people who don't like sports. I don't want you to feel excluded. But in football, you kind of have two clocks. You've got the game clock, and you've got the play clock. All right, so the play clock in college football is 40 seconds. And if you're, if you're a player, you're a coach, you're an avid fan, you're, you're, you're conscious of that, of the clock. You know, like you're getting the play in. If you don't get the, play, if you don't get the ball snapped, before the 40 seconds elapses, then you get a penalty you get a five-yard penalty. And so you kind of you kind of are thinking with this head on a swivel of like looking at the game clock or the play clock and uh, you know because you've got to get the snap off. And so then on the other hand, so, so the analogy there is like for us individually like the play clock for us is heaven like when we die and go to be with Christ. And so a heaven consciousness is that head on a swivel aware of looking at you know the, the, the play clock winding down. The Game clock, you know, when the, when when the, when the clock strikes zero at the end of the fourth quarter, if you're behind, you lose. If you're ahead, you win. And so, especially if it's a close game, you're constantly looking at the game clock because you know you know that that's the end. All right, that's what everything's moving. I can remember one time, two thousand two thousand seven Alabama LSU game. I went down. I didn't go to the game. I just went down and hung out, and then I had to be back for something. So I listened to the fourth quarter. Uh, listen I didn't plan to talk about this but this is actually a pretty good analogy um, I listened to the fourth quarter on the radio and Eli Gold I love him but I'll be darned Eli Gold never tells you down in distance and he never tells you how much time is on the clock and so I am sitting there driving you know Alabama's like clinging to a lead and and I'm like how much time is left and I'll be darned if I didn't make it from McFarland Boulevard to Hoover before Eli decided to let us know how much time was on the clock, right? So the game clock is key, right? And so when it comes to the game clock, it's kind of analogous to all of human history moving towards the second coming of Christ, when Christ returns and makes all things new. And so the the reason I use that clock analogy is because when you watch a game, you're constantly aware of how much time is on the clock, and you're constantly aware that when it hits zero... Either the, you know the the time for the play is over, the time for the game is over. There's a consciousness of the clock. Zero is the end point. Well, the same thing would be true here in Paul's heaven consciousness that he is consci- constantly conscious of either his own um, his own death, his own uh, journey to glory in Christ, or he is conscious of the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ that, that human history awaits. And so with that being said, there is this narrative arc that we see in Paul. Uh, this is from 1 Thessalonians uh, 1 through 9 through 10. He says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And now he's going to talk about the narrative of their salvation. He says, How you turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So you can see this arc narrative of being delivered from uh, from the wrath of God, being delivered from the worship of idols, and now we presently worship the living God, we worship and serve the living God while we wait for uh, for our end. We wait uh, to see Christ face to face, or we wait, wait for Christ to come back. And so that's just to give you a sense of what I'm talking about here with the heaven consciousness. And so the more and more real this is to you, the more it, it through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the word of God, it seeps into your heart and into your mind, the more comfort, the more um, san- the more comforting, the more sanctifying, the more convicting, the more motivating it is. And so um, and so today we're going to look at... Um, eh, we're not going to worry about that... Uh, We're going to look at this one theme in Paul's heaven consciousness. We're going to look at uh, morality and ethics. And so basically there there are five themes I've identified um, related to Paul's heaven consciousness. Basically what I mean by that is you see that you see over and over again these repeated themes where when Christ thinks about heaven, when he talks about heaven, certain topics come up over and over again. Uh, So for example, one is motivation for evangelism. Paul is very, very motivated to share the gospel and to serve the Lord because of heavenly realities. Um, Paul is very often, when he's talking about suffering, he looks back to, or looks forward, to the relief of suffering in heaven. Uh, He he refers in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4 to sufferings as light and momentary light and momentary, relative to the heavenly weight of glory that awaits us with the Lord. So you can see, again, when he when he talks about huff, suffering, heaven almost always comes up. Um, you can see a theme of contentment. Paul is going through really hard things. He is particularly in Philippians chapter 4. Paul is going through very difficult things. And yet he says, good times, bad times. I've, I've learned to be content. And he's learned this contentment because... Uh, he has a accurate appraisal of, you know, what life in the present evil age is meant to be. He's not, a, you know, he doesn't have unrealistic expectations, and he also has this this uh, consciousness that he's going to be living in perfect happiness, perfect pleasure for all of eternity, for trillions and trillions and trillions of years, and you know we're going to suffer here for however long the Lord has us. And so, relatively speaking, it gives him a sense of contentment. Um, we're going to talk about contentment next week. Uh, fourth theme we see is no fear in death. Um, Paul uh, has honestly views death in a positive lens. I'm not talking about dying. Dying, you know, where we're getting very, very close to death, the pain and the, the difficulty and the suffering that comes with that, that's another thing. But in terms of actually dying, Paul views it po- views it positively to the point, that in Philippians 1, he says that he desires to be with Christ. He calls that better. Um, but, Then he comes back and talks about how, but to stay with you is fruitful service. And so finally, uh, conviction for a moral and ethical life. This is probably the most salient theme that you see in Paul's heaven consciousness, Um, that when he talks about heavenly realities, he very often will then talk about repenting from sin and pursuing righteousness. And so we're going to talk about why that is. We're going to look at some examples of that. That's what's on your worksheet. Uh, That's what's on your worksheet, uh, the first page. Um, is a bunch of different examples of where Paul will be talking about heavenly realities and then he'll transition into talking about living a godly life and then on the back of that we'll look at the reasons why like why is it that Paul um, that his view of heaven naturally inherently leads him uh, to want to pursue a godly life and to exhort others to do so as well Um, keeping in mind by the way as we talk about this that Yes, we've been made righteous. Yes, our sins are forgiven. Yes, we're heaven bound. Yes, we are citizens of heaven now, and we still we still have like very 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 powerful sinful flesh, and so that's not to think that we're going to ever in, on this side of glory escape sin. That we're ever going to stop struggling with sin. That's just going to that's just that's just a reality we have to accept. And um, this is a, a help, a comfort, um, and, a, and, a, and an encouragement. Uh, in, 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 that, in that struggle with sin. So first, uh, on the front page here, having Conscious, Morality, and Ethics, uh, looking at Romans 13, 11 through 14. Paul says, Because, because this, you know, you know the time. Okay, you're aware in the big picture of what has happened in Christ. That the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is foregone. The day is at hand. When he's talking about the day here, he's talking about the day of the Lord, the the second coming of Christ, and the present reality of heaven. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify it. To gratify the desire. So you can see, you can see this logical progression. Hey, the day has come. You are citizens of the kingdom of light, and therefore li- live live as you will in heaven. Keeping in mind that in heaven you're not going to be able to sin. Not going to be able to, to sin in heaven. So he's saying, live like you will in heaven. Alright, next. First, First Thessalonians 3:11 through 13. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, for all you, as we do for you, so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. So this is kind of more he's talking about you know living a moral life, and he does this a lot. A lot of the times when he's talking about living a pure and blameless life, you see that that, that terminology blameless a lot. And then it'll say, so that when Christ comes, you'll be blameless before the Lord. So it's kind of like if you, if there's someone that you really respect, um, whether it's a boss, it's a mentor, it's a parent, it's a grandparent. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but you're going to go sit down with that person and have a conversation. There is this sense of like preparation of like, I'm going to be on my best behavior because I'm talking to my you know grandparent my granddad or grandmother who is a really godly person and has a ton of character and you know you kind of step in the room you you you, you're kind of on your best behavior as compared to when you're hanging out with your frat daddies um and so um and so with that being said that's kind of paul's mentality like we're going to see god in all his holiness that awaits us and so that kind of prompts him to think about like i'm going to see you know grandmother who's such a godly person who I respect, and I kind of want to be, you know, on my best behavior. Um, all right, so then next, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Uh, and you're going to see here that this is kind of Paul. Actually, I'm going to save this for, this is on the next slide. I'm going to save this one. Uh, we'll go, go down to Titus 2. All right, so Titus 2 11, uh, 11, 2, 11 through 3, 2. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So it, it, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So first off, he starts with the gospel. Christ has come. Christ has extended his grace to us, and it's the grace of God. It's knowing that you're loved by God that actually transforms you. Like don't don't come away with this with the idea of like wow, I'm going to see the Lord or I'm a citizen of heaven. I better try really hard to be a good person now. That's 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 a losing strategy. Um, what you see here is that it's the grace of God. It's thinking about how all of these things, these heavenly realities, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness that we have is all a gift from God through Christ. And so that, so you can see that here, that he says the, it's the grace of God. It's knowing that you're fully loved apart from your performance that actually transforms you into a person who can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Um, and then he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So he is, you know, again giving this narrative that we're waiting for the appearing of God, and that prompts um, repentance and the pursuit of godliness. And so he says, "So then, then, these then are the things you should teach. And so he goes on to talk about how we should encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful and considerable, considerate and always gentle toward everyone. And so it starts with these gospel realities of the grace of God. It moves into these heavenly realities that are a product of the gospel. And then he goes into talking about teaching people to live obedient lives to God's word. All right, finally, Philippians 1 9 through 11, it says, As it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, again, here's this, this, you know, I'm expecting to see God in his holiness, and so that has uh, has an influence, that expectation has an influence on how he thinks about the way he lives. All right, so, with that being said, um, this takes us to the question of why. Like, why is it that Paul would say that these heavenly realities should lead us to prompt us to repentance and the pursuit of godliness? And so, um, so there are kind of four little themes that I've identified. Um, uh, yeah, four themes I've identified. Okay, so first, Paul believes that you have a new location. You live in a new place as a product of your salvation. Um, and uh, you know I've already kind of gone over this earlier, but in Colossians three, he says, "If then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God." So he's saying, like, you have a new place, like you you dwell in heaven with Christ. You are hidden hidden with Christ in God. And so because of this new place that you live, um, then naturally this should transform the, the way that you live your life. Then he goes into, starting in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so, so he's saying, like, you don't live in the present evil age anymore. Don't act like you live there. You live now in the kingdom of heaven. And, and that should, you know, that, that should influence how you live. And we all kind of know, uh, we all kind of know that when we're in certain places, we act a a different way. You know, if like you're, if you're in a wedding, if you're in church, you act differently than when, you know, you're down at the SAE house. I don't know why I'm hitting on the fraternities today, but, you know, but it's true. We all kind of know this. Like, I behave a little bit differently when I'm at an Alabama football game, uh, than I do at the nine o'clock service um so that's not to say that's a good thing <laughs> um, but it's a reality of like when you have an awareness of your location awareness of where you are that that influences how you behave and so he's saying like you live in heaven that's your location that's the context that's the setting of your life now because you're in union with christ you've been transferred into this, the age of the spirit and so as a product of that you know you, sh- you should live as you will in heaven okay so new location. All right, second is a new identity. We're going to skip down to verses 22 through 23. For those of you who have been good students and have come to all these classes, remember when we talked about the uh, present heaven, how Paul had uh, three paradigms that he would talk about the new heavenly age with or the age to come with. He talked about the age of the Spirit, the kingdom of God, and the new creation. And so here in this verse... He's going to be speaking out of the new creation paradigm. Like, basically, it's just another way of talking about you're a citizen of heaven now on earth. But he says, put to death your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So he, here he's saying, like, you have a new identity. Like, you are now, you know, you're now a child of God. Um, you're now um, a citizen of heaven. And because of that new self, um, that influences, your identity influences how you are. It's one of those things where, you know, when you become a parent, uh, certain ways that you used to act, you're like, you know what, uh, I'm a parent now. I can't. I can't act like that anymore. You know, there's there's a new there's kind of a new role in your life. There's in the sense like in some ways a new identity, and it kind of changes the way that you know cha- you have a perspective, uh, a self awareness that kind of influences how you live. And so he's saying, as a, as a person who now lives in heaven, you have a new identity, and so you you live out of that identity. Um, uh, Matthew Menendez and I were at a uh, at a wedding once. You all heard me tell the story a lot of times, but. Um, There was a young woman at the wedding, we were at the rehearsal dinner, and at the after party. There was a young woman whose dad was easily one of the five most recognizable people in the entire world. (laughs) And um, she was super nice. Really, really, uh, really classy person. And uh, she was absolutely throwing down. I mean, she was smoking cigarette after cigarette, and taking shots, and uh, she her um, her top was so revealing that she may as well just not even wearing needed to wear clothes. I mean, it was and and we were both kind of like, this is so and so's daughter. Oh wow, you can't act like this. Like you can't smoke cigarettes like that when you're so and so's daughter. And so there was this there was this identity. Sorry, I know that sounds really judgy, and she's cleaned up her act and she's really nice. But um, but uh, but there was this kind of like identity influencing how we live. And so, so that's another thing that Paul hits on. He's saying, your, your former self, your old self, that was true of you when you were in the present evil age, when you were in the kingdom of darkness, that's not who you are anymore. Now, you're a son or daughter of the living God, and now you live uh, in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so then you've got a new ruler. Next, you have a new ruler. We said new location, new identity, now a new ruler. He says... And, and do you not know that the, unrighteousness, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So he, let me say this first. He's not saying if you're bad, you're going to get kicked out of heaven. That's not what he means here. He's talking about like unrighteous in the sense that you have not been converted, you've not put your faith in Christ, and therefore your lifestyle completely reflects that. And so he says, uh, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor ad- uh, adulterers, nor many who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he's saying you have a new ruler. You know, you now, he says in Ephesians 2 that you used to live under the prince of darkness, but now you live under the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, this using the term Lord Jesus Christ, there is great emphasis on the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. You know, Lord Jesus, Obviously, it's kind of, it would really, you could translate that king. King, Jesus, and then Christ would be like anointed one, anointed king. So it's almost like, it's almost like a double emphasis on the kingship of Jesus. And so he's saying, you, you now live under the rule of Jesus. And so he's your boss. He's more than your boss. He's your heavenly father. Obviously, we don't want to give these impersonal, um, impersonal cold, distant views of God. And, um, and he, is, he is your authority. Jesus is your authority. And so he's pointing here to say that um, you, in the kingdom of heaven, you now have a new king. You have a new ruler. And so an awareness of that also influences how you live. And then finally, last thing. Sorry that I'm whizzing through this. Time is short. Um, you have a new life. You have a new source of contentment, a new source of joy. He says here in, in Romans six twenty two. he says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Slaves better would probably better, it's doulas would be better translated servants, now that you're a servant of God. But saying be, been set free from sin, this is that crossing of the threshold language of being transferred from darkness into light, uh, transferred into the kingdom of heaven. He says the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life now he's not saying eternal life just like in heaven he's talking about internal life as a quality of life like the, the the quality of life that you'll have in heaven is or qualities of the life you'll have in heaven are now accessible to you because you've been transferred to the kingdom of heaven and christ dwells in you okay so this is the big one this is the big takeaway if you've been sleeping time to wake up if you've been like oh clearly this guy Study this in seminary and he's just so excited about using all his vocabulary. This is the time to listen. All right. So here's the thing. This is for Paul, I think, the primary reason why Paul would say, why on earth would you sin? Now, obviously we sin because we sin. Because, you know, we're turkeys. But <laughs> here's what you he, he you'd say. What makes heaven heaven? Okay. What makes heaven heaven is first, that we're in perfect fellowship with God. We're one with God. Second thing, Is that we see God face to face. Third thing is we are freed from suffering and from sin in this world. And a fourth thing is that we are no longer able to sin. Okay? What's going to make heaven heaven? In positive terms, in negative terms, is that you don't sin anymore. You're not exposed to darkness. You're not exposed to wickedness. But keep in mind that sin breaks your fellowship with God. Doesn't mean it's Completely broken, like in a sense of, you know, you've been, you've lost your salvation. But in terms of our experience of intimacy with God, sin creates distance in relationships. That's just the nature of sin. You know, when you, if you had a had a day where you've been totally rotten, you know, you've lost your temper nonstop. You've been self-absorbed. You've complained. You've been cussing up a storm. You don't feel this great sense of fellowship with Jesus. <laughs> That's not because Jesus doesn't love you. That doesn't mean that you're not righteous anymore. It doesn't mean that you know Jesus has left your heart or anything. It just means that you're not experiencing the joy of fellowship with God because sin naturally creates separation. You know, if you've been uh, to your, you know to your roommate or to you know your your spouse or your kids, if you've been a total jerk. It's not like, you know, all lovey-dovey at the house, right? You're not feeling this great sense of affection and connection because sin creates separation. And so what Paul is saying is, look, what's going to make heaven so great is you're going to experience the oneness that you have with God through Christ. That is what's going to give you that great sense of joy. That's the quality of eternal life, is that you are... You're experiencing your communion with God that has come through the gospel. So he's saying, look, you're one with Christ now. Like you can enjoy the pleasure and joy of fellowship with God now because you're a citizen of the kingdom of God and because you are one with Christ. You are one with God through Christ. And so pursue that pleasure, pursue that joy of fellowship with God. And hey, sin is going to interfere with that. Sin is going to be counterproductive. It's going to pull you away from that fellowship. So he's saying, repent. Repent from sin um, so that you'll enjoy the eternal life, the quality of eternal life in your relationship with God here and now. And so that's the primary thing that's driving it. Yes, you have a new place. Um, You live in the kingdom of God. The context influences how you live. Yes, you have a new identity. Uh, You are a child of God and and we have a self-awareness of our identity and that shapes how we live. Yes, you have a new ruler and repent from sin so that you can enjoy the pleasures of eternal life here and now because you're one with Christ. And that is the core of what's going to make heaven, heaven. So let me pray for us. I can answer questions. And if you're going to the next service, you need to split out. I won't be offended if you just need to hit the road. Um, Jesus thank you so much for um, for the hope of heaven for the present heavenly realities that we live in and uh, let us not um, let's not become legalistic out of this and uh, try to be good out of fear but let us lord just surrender our lives to you um, give us the grace to repent lord and give us the hope uh, to want to draw close to you and just let that be our pursuit. Let that, let that be what's um, what's central in our heart and our mind, is to be close to you, Lord. Uh, and, and, and and in that, um, help us, to, by your grace and through the Holy Spirit, help us to turn away from sin. And so thanks, thanks, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.